Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue from where we left off last week in our discussion of election. The meaning of the doctrine of election is the sovereign act of God in grace whereby certain people are chosen from among mankind for himself. There are four basic errors you can make on the issue of election. Exploring these will be well worth our time. Please follow along with Pastor Jim as he discusses these errors in today's slice of the message entitled, He Chose Us in Him, Part 2. Here we are, right after the greeting in the book of uh, Ephesians. We're right away into the doctrine of election. And as I told you, verse 3 through verse 14 in chapter 1 of Ephesians is all one sentence in Greek. It's 202 words long in Greek, and the Greek language is uh, far more sophisticated than English, so you can do things with all sorts of clauses and that, and you can make up a 202-word sentence that actually makes sense and is full of wonderful things, but it's very hard to bring that into English. So I, I counted this week. Actually, I let my computer do the counting, but uh, it took the New American Standard translators 283 words in English to translate this sentence, and they very wisely broke it down into six English sentences. Now, we're going to get through what is one of those English sentences today, and you have to say this is picking up where we left off. I'm not going to repeat much of anything from last week, but this is part two on the doctrine of election. My father-in-law, who was one of the dearest influences in my life ever, had uh, quite possibly the most wonderful attitude of any Christian that I have ever known about, about things, and he always had a way of just sort of charmingly uh, describing something. And certain um, pastors in certain things, his description was, I've never seen anybody that could go down deeper, stay down longer, and come up drier than he did. And I pray that I will not fulfill that description this morning. But there's some deep stuff here, so follow along with me. Here's where we're headed. We're tackling Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. The sentence starts at verse 3. And we're going to be talking about election, a simple seven-point outline with about 85% of it being point number one and the rest of it being the rest of it. The meaning of election, the objects of election, the time of election, the purpose of election, the method of election, the relationship of election, and the result of election. Well, election comes from the Greek word eklego, means to call out for oneself. And Ephesians 1.4 is where we find that word first. Just as he chose us in Him, that's the verb, chose us, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So the meaning of the doctrine of election, as we said last time, and I'm trusting you to review that if you didn't hear it or if you need to hear it again, the meaning of the doctrine of election is it is the sovereign act of God in grace whereby certain people are chosen from among mankind 
for himself. Now, some people don't like that doctrine. Um, I know someone who told me that um, uh, a friend of theirs came to Heritage Bible Church and left never to come back, and the quote was, because she so hates election. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, It's not possible to describe something that God did and ignore it. Um, That's an indication of one of the errors that or the manifestation of one of the errors concerning the doctrine of election. So I said it's worth our time to meander through this, and I want to finish it up today. But I said last time that there are four general errors that I see, or four basic errors that people tend to make on the doctrine of election. Now, I'm sure there's more than four, but this is categorizing things. Election error number one, and this was where we left off last time, election error number one is simply to ignore it. There are many preachers, uh, there are many churches that simply refuse to deal with this doctrine of election. A lot of churches, you can read their doctrinal statement, and there's no mention of this anywhere under the doctrine of salvation. They do it either because it offends their sense of fairness, or they can't understand it, or they also know somebody who would leave if you said you know, the Bible says that God chose some people for Himself. So ignoring it is what a lot of people do, and ignoring anything in the Scriptures is not a good idea. Election error number two is to overemphasize God's sovereignty. Now remember, we've said the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. Absolutely. God is even sovereign in salvation. And The Bible teaches human responsibility. You are 100% responsible for every decision that you make. Those two things are side by side in Scripture. One of the errors that can be made is to overemphasize God's sovereignty. And you might be tempted to say, how could you possibly do that? It's absolute. How can you overemphasize something that is the, the reason that the universe continues to work? Well, what I mean is when you let that overrule something else that is taught in Scripture, namely human responsibility, that's a problem. Sometimes that gets labeled hyper-Calvinism. Now, I don't want to bury you under terminology today, but um, you need, do need to know a little bit of the terminology to make sense of it. But especially when... Uh, Someone emphasizes the teaching which is called double predestination. All right, let's unpack that a little bit. Calvinism is the shorthand for what's also often called the doctrines of grace. It is is usually abbreviated in five famous points that are a summary of the teachings of the Reformers, and they get called Calvinism. John Calvin did not invent Calvinism. John Calvin never wrote five points of Calvinism. John Calvin never even thought of the possibility. John Calvin wrote a a whole theology, all right? Then along came a a man by the name of Jacobius Arminius, Arminius, yeah, that's right, Um, and he wrote five points of remonstrance. I bet you haven't used that word once all week, all right? What, What Arminius was doing, he was saying... I have five specific points with which I would like to argue against and refute Luther, Calvin, Swingley, all the the major uh, reformers, all right? In the argument, I would say, basically, Arminius lost, but later came then, here are the responses to 
the rejection of these major points of the Protestant Reformation. And those came to be called the five points of Calvinism. Um, I mean, if there's two lines to get into heaven and one is Arminians and one is Calvinists, the Arminians will not let me in their line, okay? I, I know absolutely for sure, okay? We, we accept those, uh, those teachings of the Protestant Reformation, especially the five solas, which is different than the five points of Calvinism. But um, when we talk about Calvinism, one of the things I really dislike is anybody insulting my theology as if it can be reduced to five points, You have to ignore about 95 other equally important things to boil it down to five. And and, and they get to be caricatured in many ways. So I could preach from the beginning of the Bible to the end and never have to use those five points. And I'm not even going to teach them to you uh, today. But we know that God chose people. How do we know that? Well, like Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Double predestination, and we'll define the word predestination a little bit so more sooner, uh, more in a, soon as we get along to it. Double predestination is the teaching that says God chose person A to go to heaven. And in exactly the same way, he chose person B to go to hell. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, God never says to anyone who is going into the lake of fire, I chose you to be here before the foundation of the world. It just doesn't say that. Right? Now, you can argue about logical um, implications, etc., but the Bible doesn't say that. And so some people overemphasize God's sovereignty as if they have to connect every single dot, explain why every single person is exactly where every person ends up, etc., and not leave it to the matter of God is sovereign over who is saved, and every person is responsible for what they choose. There's another wrinkle with... Um, this overemphasizing God's sovereignty, at least I label it as overemphasizing God's sovereignty. Of those famous five points of Calvinism, one of them is the most controversial. Um, it is, again, understand, not authored by, uh, by John Calvin, but there is the teaching that says, or there are the people who say that the Bible teaches that Jesus died for the sins of the chosen ones. Jesus died for the sins of the elect. Well, that's patently obvious. No one's going to get into heaven without a Savior. There's only one Savior. It has to be what Christ did for them on the cross. But these folks say that He died for the sins of the elect and for no one else. And I have been told, you should not say to an unbeliever that the gospel includes saying Christ died for our sins because you don't know if he died for their sins because he came only for the purpose to die for only certain people and he did not die in any way for anybody else, right? So Calvinism is a good summary of the Reformation in bullet points, but it's not inspired. And I've always taken the position, and I articulated it when I first had to uh, wrestle with some different traditions in helping our Russian brothers and sisters understand these things, but I've always hit on saying this way, I won't subscribe to any doctrinal position, even if it's the favorite of my friends, if it requires me to explain that a passage of the Bible doesn't mean what it says. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.